0: Hi, this is uh, Dr. Pedro Ramirez, Editor-in-Chief of the International Journal of Gynecological Cancer. Today, I have the great pleasure of speaking with uh, Professor Nicoletta Colombo in the Department of Medicine and Surgery at the University of Milan, Bicocca, and the Division of Gynecologic Oncology at the European Institute of Oncology in Milan, Italy, and also with Giuseppe Caruso, who is in the Department of Maternal and Child Health and Urological Science, at the sapienza university of rome um, it is a great pleasure speaking with them uh, we're going to be talking about the april lead article that is titled parp inhibitor in ovarian cancer lessons learned and future directions it is a really fantastic article and i certainly encourage all of you to uh read it uh and review the the information that is provided here so Uh, Thank you so much to uh, both of you, Nicoletta and Giuseppe, for, uh, number one, submitting the article to our journal, and then also for your time in in discussing it with us.
1: Thank you, Professor Ramirez, for selecting our paper as a leading article and for inviting us to, to join you on this podcast. Thank
2: you.
1: Fantastic.
0: Well, um, lots of questions that we want to get through. So I um, I know that obviously uh, a lot of information that we're going to cover. Um, so we want to get started. Uh, Giuseppe, I'll start with you and um, ask you uh, if you can discuss what should be the algorithm regarding first-line maintenance in patients with advanced ovarian cancer based
1: on mutational status today. Okay, so before starting, just a few seconds, I would also like to say a special word of thanks to Professor Colombo for the support and for being a truly extraordinary mentor for me. Um, So uh, as we know, the BRCA-HRD mutational status is uh, the main driver for choosing the most appropriate uh, strategy in the first-line maintenance setting. The Vasizuma-Benduraparib are approved regardless of the mutational status, so you can always find these two agents as possible options while Olaparib is approved for BRCA-mutated either alone or in combination with Bevacizumab and for HRD-positive patients here in combination with Bevacizumab. So how can we choose the best first-line maintenance option? Well, um, BRCA-mutated and HRD-positive patients should receive a PARP inhibitor as part of their first-line maintenance treatment either alone or in combination with bevacizumab. And the addition of bevacizumab to the PARP inhibitor can be considered in case of uh, suboptimal response to platinum and or high-risk disease. So it means stage four, residual disease after tumor, new adjuvant chemotherapy, inoperable disease, and when there is ascites or pleural effusion. The decision regarding the maintenance treatment becomes, of course, more challenging in the HRD-negative population where we know that the benefit of PARP inhibitor is less striking. So in this population, we actually need to evaluate the response to platinum that can be assessed radiologically through the RACIST criteria, biochemically with the Kelim score and pathologically with the chemotherapy response score. And so if the response is favorable, it means that we have complete response according to RACIST, Kelim score of one or more, and the chemotherapy response score of three Then, a PARP inhibitor should be preferred while if the response is unfavorable, so partial response according to RACIST, kelim score below one, and the chemotherapy response score of one, then Bevacizumab should be uh, considered, especially in the high-risk disease. So this is briefly the state-of-the-art for the first-line maintenance based on uh, mutational status. Great.
0: Thank you, Giuseppe.
1: And, and we're going to get
0: into uh, some of the details uh, that you mentioned before. I um, wanted to ask you, what, what are some of the key factors in, in guiding decision making? I know that obviously there are multiple, uh, clinical, drug-related, financial, um, um, biomarker. You have a great figure in, uh, in, the, in the article. Can you expand a little bit about what some of these key factors are?
1: Yes, uh, we talked about the uh, biomarker profile as the main driver, but of course, the final decision regarding maintenance needs to uh, consider several other factors that are essential for personalizing the the strategy, especially in the HRD-negative setting. So uh, we need to consider uh, clinical factors and, um, of course, first, the response to platinum, as we already said, the residual disease. And here, it's important to know that we also have to consider, in case of no macroscopic residual disease, uh, the surgical effort and the number of cycles that of new adjuvant chemotherapy needed to achieve uh, that outcome. Of course, it's important the timing of surgery, so interval uh, versus upfront, the stage, uh, the presence of symptoms that could be, of course, a priority. So um, ascites and pleural effusion, where we know that the anti-androgenic is very effective. Uh, of course, we should consider also comorbidities that may represent contraindications such as uh, the thromboembolism for the use of uh, Bevacizumab. And then, as you said, um, we have also the financial regulatory factors. This is very important because uh, reimbursement policies may differ from approval indications and actually vary across countries. So uh, in some countries, niraparib is not reimbursed for a stage three disease with no residual tumor after primary debulking surgery. And also the combination of Bevacizumab with Olaparib is not approved in in some countries for the BRCA mutated patients. And then finally, we have also drug issues. And these are also important. For example, drug interactions. We know that uh, pharmacological features differ across PARP inhibitors, And among uh, PARP inhibitors, niraparib has uh, limited drug interactions. So it can be preferred, uh, for example, in the elderly who have several comorbidities and take several drugs, uh, as it is actually maybe more um, manageable. And then we also have to consider the patient's preference and compliance concerning the duration of treatment and route of administration. This is very important because uh, PARP inhibitors are administered orally for two, three years, while we know that Bevacizumab is administered intravenously every three weeks for a total of uh, 15 months. So uh, we need to consider all these factors to guide uh, our optimal strategy. Very well. So I'll direct the uh, next couple of
0: questions to Professor Colombo and uh, uh, getting into some of the more specific details of, of the manuscript. This question comes from one of our fellows in the journal now, Andrea Rosati, who's at the Gemelli Hospital in Rome. Um, and he wants to talk about these gray zones. Um, he asks, can you explain in detail how one should modulate maintenance therapy in these so-called gray zones, namely in the BAD-BRCA? and in the HR proficient good responders to platinum, what should be the algorithm and the decision-making for these patients?
2: Yeah, thank you. Thank you for the very good uh, uh, question. Um, as you know, there are bad BRCA and good BRCA. And um, in, indeed, bad braca and HRP good responders, at the two extremes uh, of a possible clinical situation. So on one hand, you have a BRCA tumor uh, that should be responsive to platinum, but which does not respond to platinum instead. On the other hand, you may have an HRP tumor typically less responsive to part inhibitor, but which shows a very good response to platinum. And we know that this response to platinum is one of the most powerful predictive factors for uh, papillary inhibitor benefit. So, why this information may be important? Because if, despite a BRCA mutation, a tumor does not have an optimal response to platinum, I think this is an indication for me to add the To chemotherapy, and then to continue with both bevacizumab and olaparin, the maintenance setting. So this is a situation in which despite BRCA mutation, I think the combination with bevacizumab should be uh, preferred. On the other hand, you may have a HRD negative tumor, which achieve a complete or almost complete response to platinum, and this can represent a good predictive factor for PARP inhibitor benefit. And these are the patients I would treat with PARP inhibitor despite being HRD negative at the genomic instability test.
0: Excellent. And um, with regards to when we talk about the um, biomarkers, uh, this next question is from Jennifer Davis-Olivera. Um, she wants to know about New predictive biomarkers on the horizon. Um, what what are what, what do we have in terms of uh, biomarkers to platinum sensitivity to PARP inhibitor sensitivity?
2: Well, actually, uh, so far the best predictive factor for PARP inhibitor sensitivity remain uh, BRCA and HRD testing, and platinum sensitivity. Platinum sensitivity is very important to predict. Uh, the benefit from pap inhibitor So there is no that much in terms of platinum sensitivity we may have more in terms of actually uh, platinum resistance and and I know that uh, Giuseppe may may go over more in detail but just want to uh, start uh, saying that of course uh, there are predictive factors of resistance to PARP inhibitor and platinum um, some of these are, homologous recombination dependent, other are homologous recombination dependent, and, and the recognized markers of resistance to PARP inhibitor are BRCA and RAD51 reversion uh, mm-hmm. caused by intragenic deletion or secondary mutation, which may restore BRCA uh, function and also RAD51 function. Also, you may have the epigenetic BRCA loss through decrease of uh, loss of methylation, but also other mechanisms of resistance include, for instance, replication for stabilization, activation of signal transduction pathway, which may promote homologous recombination, such as PI3K and ATR pathways, and also upregulation of the drug efflux gene ABCB1. So there are several markers of resistance. Also very important is the cyclin E1 overexpression, mm-hmm. which is correlated with platinum and PARP inhibitor resistance. So if this is the situation, uh, since part inhibitors are mostly used now in frontline in almost all patients, I think in the future we would be able to, we should be able to recognize uh, this these mechanisms of resistance and use combination regimens to overcome them. And uh, there are actually prelimin- preliminary data quite encouraging on the combination of, uh, for instance, PI3K inhibitor and PAP inhibitor in platinum-resistant and refractory, uh, BRCA wild-type ovarian cancer. And also another interesting combination is, for instance, PAP inhibitor with Cell cycle checkpoint inhibitors mm. such as the W1 uh, inhibitor at Davosertib, which showed that activity even in part inhibitor resistant tumor uh, or the combination of, for instance, or part inhibitor with ATR inhibitors. Mm.
0: It's amazing uh, and, and so exciting to see that evolution of uh, of how we approach ovarian cancer with uh, so much uh, of targeted therapy uh, really becoming part of uh, of the maintenance and, and the treatment of, of these patients. So thank you so much for that. Uh, Giuseppe, I'll, I'll uh, go back to, to you. You you mentioned uh, the uh, algorithm and, and going back to the point of how patients are treated in uh, frontline, this next question also from Italy, Giulio Bonaldo. And um, he asks, since the clinical benefit of PARP inhibitors for the HR-proficient population is modest, is it reasonable today to avoid PARP inhibitor maintenance therapy in the first line and just consider observation for these patients?
1: Well, uh, this is uh, an interesting question. Um, As we know, the HR-proficient population is uh, the most demanding in clinical practice as the benefit of PARP inhibitor is... uh, only modest, so in this setting, even observation can be reasonable. However, I would say that there are several reasons why it it is uh, probably better to offer a first-line maintenance treatment with uh, PARP inhibitor, even in the HRD-negative patients. Um, First, yes, the the benefit is not so striking, but there is still a relevant benefit. The Prima trial showed a 35% reduction in the risk of uh, progression or death uh, for um, HR-proficient patients who received niraparib. Then we should remember that the uh, available HRD tests are very useful for selecting HRD positive patients who are ideal candidates for uh, PARP inhibitor maintenance, but are not sufficient for ruling out the benefit of PARP inhibitor in the HRD negative population. Uh, Moreover, for approximately 40% of patients, the first line could be the only opportunity to uh, receive a PARP inhibitor as part, of the uh, treatment algorithm, indeed, patients can relapse within six months from the last dose of platinum. But even if they relapse after six months and so are platinum eligible, that does not guarantee that they are platinum sensitive and will respond to further platinum. Uh, moreover, the use of carboplatinum in the first line, rather in the second line, is associated with a reduced risk of developing myeloid neoclasiums. and this is uh, uh, an emerging issues, issue very important. And finally, in light of the uh, new regulatory actions that have been recently taken by the FDA for recurrent maintenance setting, uh, Brachaval type patients may miss out on the opportunity to receive a, a PARP inhibitor if they don't receive it in the first line. So, um, at the end, unless we are talking about HRD negative patients with uh, an unfavorable response to, to, pr- to platinum, it is probably better to, to offer a PARP in the first line. And maybe we we will use PARP combinations in the future in uh, in this setting.
0: Very well. Um,
1: this next question
0: for Professor Colombo. Um, this is from Arthur Shu, who's our um, managing uh, fellow. Um, he's interested in particularly in the Prime uh, trial that I believe is evaluating the raparib um, in in the Asian population. And and uh, his question is about. Does ethnicity matter uh, with regards to the uh, response to um, uh, PARP inhibitors?
2: Well, I think in my mind the answer to this question is very simple. Um, it's all about the test uh, mm. because, uh, because this Chinese test, this BG test, uh, if you look at the results, is prognostic but not predictive. Uh, and therefore, not very useful for selecting patients who may benefit from niraparib. So I, I, I'm pretty confident that the test is probably not reliable as, it, as as the Myriad test or other tests that we are currently using. And so that's that's why we don't see any difference uh, between the HRD positive and HRD negative population. <laughs>
0: Yeah, so really important uh, what HRD testing is, uh, is yeah. performed. That's uh, very, very crucial. Um, now, Giuseppe, the, the question, you, you talk about this concept of chemotherapy de-escalation. Um, can you explain what you mean by this?
1: Uh, yes, well, um, the benefit of PARP inhibitor in the BRCA mutated and HRD positive patients is uh, so evident that... Uh, uh, several clinical trials are currently exploring the feasibility of chemotherapy de-escalation approaches in, combina- in combination with PARP inhibitor in the first-line treatment um, of ovarian cancer. The rationale is uh, very simple. If PARP inhibitors are so efficient, then we could try even to reduce uh, uh, cytotox- cytotoxic uh, therapies. Of course, um, this is only hypothesis generating. We still don't have uh, any data on this. But uh, several ongoing phase one, two trials are evaluating the efficacy and safety of PARP inhibitors in the new adjuvant uh, setting. We have the now Nuvola and uh, Olapem trials with uh, Olaparib and uh, Opal C, Nant, and uh, Neoprima with uh, uh, Niraparib. And then we have also a trial for the um, adjuvant setting, the phase three uh, trial called N, which aims to assess whether Niraparib maintenance after chemotherapy in HRD positive patients optimally debulked during the primary debulking surgery might allow a reduction in the number of adjuvant chemotherapy cycles from uh, six to three cycles. Of course, de-escalation strategies uh, could help to personalize patient care, reduce toxicity, improve the quality of life. Uh, So there is a rationale for this, but of course we need to wait for the results and uh, uh, these results are are of course, warmly awaited. So this is uh, an interesting issue, of course.
0: Very well, and um, this next question is from Nuria Agusti from uh, Barcelona in Spain, and she asks, um, platinum sensitivity after PARP inhibitors may be reduced due to cross-resistance mechanisms. Um, which alternatives are under investigation that could be used in the daily clinical practice
1: um, well, very interesting question. Well, um, one alternative to platinum re is the interposition of uh, non-platinum agents, especially when the platinum-free interval is inferior to 12 months. Uh, for instance, the use of uh, trabectidine with the PLD should be further evaluated in the post-parpy era, especially when the platinum-free interval is uh, between 6 and 12 months. And actually, a recent small retrospective study from the Gemelli Hospital suggested a potential role for this regimen in the post-parpy era Uh, that could allow to spur platinum for further relapses and so extend the platinum-free interval. And then, of course, we have the the enrollment in clinical trials. And uh, there's the LUPA-1 trial, which is assessing the efficacy of uh, lurbinectidine plus uh, paclitaxel compared with uh, later-line standard chemotherapy in patients with uh, platinum-sensitive recurrent ovarian cancer who already received uh, two to three prior lines of chemotherapy. And then we also had the antibody drug uh, uh, conjugates that represent, of course, uh, a new promising class of uh, therapeutic agents. Um, and here we have two, two interesting trials, the phase two piccolo trial, with, trial with, which is currently evaluating the uh, safety and the efficacy of mirbetuximab in patients with uh, platinum-sensitive recurrent ovarian cancer with high folate receptor alpha expression, who received uh, at least two prior lines of uh, platinum therapy. And then we also have the phase one upgrade A trial, which is uh, assessing the combination of uh, upifitamab and uh, carboplatin in patients who uh, receive in patients with platinum-sensitive ovarian cancer who received one, two, three prior lines of, of uh, treatments. So uh, there is a lot going on and uh, we will see soon the results of, uh, of all these trials. Excellent.
0: Um, <clears throat> I'll turn to Professor Colombo now. This uh, next question is from Ryan Kahn, who's at uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York. And you know, certainly for many years we used the term platinum sensitive and platinum resistance. Um, his question is, do you foresee the conventional definition and the timeline for platinum sensitive versus platinum resistant changing for patients on the upfront PARP inhibitor maintenance? Um, and if so, how would you redefine these terms?
2: Oh, yeah. That's a very, very important question. Uh, we started actually discussing the change uh, of this definition back uh, in Kyoto during the GCIG consensus conference. And then we further discussed a lot during the ESMO-ESGO, Varian Cancer Consensus Conference in Milan. And finally, during the last GCIG consensus conference in Valencia. So we believe that the dichotomic definition does not have sense for several reasons. I mean, the six months cutoff, one, because the follow-up schedule may may greatly influence the platinum-free interval. If you you take the CT scan now, or maybe in two days, this may completely (laughs) change the definition of six months. The cutoff of six months was defined many years ago, but back in 1988, when there was no maintenance treatment uh, at that time and no CA125 follow-up. So Hmm. it's completely different now situation. And finally, it is clear that platinum sensitivity is a continuous variable, which cannot just be limited to this six months cutoff. And indeed, uh, there are clinical evidences that platinum can still be effective and probably the best option, even after three to four months of uh, platinum free interval and, and more effective than other drugs. So, how to define? Uh, I think what we use now, and, and in Europe, we are using a lot this definition. We don't say anymore platinum resistant or platinum sensitive, but we say patient for whom platinum is an option for patients patient Mm -hmm. for whom platinum is not an option. And how to define that? Of course, if you have progression on platinum, clearly, you know, you're not going to use platinum again. So this platinum is not an option for this patient. Also, if you have a very, very rapid and symptomatic progression soon after the end of chemotherapy, I would say in the first two, three months after the end of uh, chemo, and, mm-hmm. and, and you have a rapid symptomatic progression, platinum is not an option in these patients. Um, other than that, actually, uh, if you have just a rising of CA1 to 5 after four or five months, and then you see some disease, I think uh, platinum can still provide benefit uh, for these patients. So. Really, we should get rid of the six months mm. definition, does not make any sense, and, and start using different wording, even. So, platinum is an option or not an option based on several factors, which is not only efficacy, but also tolerance, hypersensitivity, and so on. So, really, we have to move forward in this direction.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you really uh, articulated that so 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 well because you're absolutely right, and particularly also for for clinical trials. You know, I recently had a patient uh, that when I approached the, the research coordinator for the trial, they say, "Well, no, the, the the patient is actually platinum sensitive because." they uh they recur six months and one day after yeah. <laughs> you know, so it's so like come on yeah. uh, and, and, uh and I actually is starting to see the term platinum eligible versus platinum il- yeah. eligible so um that uh, I think is it's a great uh, uh move towards a different terminology um Giuseppe, I'll go back to you Andrea Rosati has a question. Um, that he writes, in patients developing PARP inhibitor resistance, it seems that the future direction will be to dynamically intercept the specific mechanisms of resistance and to propose a personalized combination therapy. So in this context, he asks, what are, to date, the main molecular markers of platinum, uh, of uh, PARP inhibitor resistance, and what are the main molecular targets that we're able to detect?
1: Uh, yes, well, um, as we already uh, said, there are, there are several potential predictive biomarkers of uh, park resistance that are currently being investigated, mostly, mostly in uh, proclinical and uh, early phase trials. Uh, the reversion of BRCA mutations seem to be the most important, um, and we have data coming from uh, uh, four phase, uh, two, three trials, the Olympiad, solo three light and evolve that showed that approximately 20-25% of ovarian cancer patients had uh, BRCA reversion mutations after olaparib treatment. And uh, other promising biomarkers uh, are, uh, of course, those related to the restoration of the homologous recombination system, so reversion mutations of the uh, RAD51 genes, the loss of methylation of the uh, BRCA1 gene promoter the amplification of the, uh, the CCNE1, um, and the upregulation of the uh, PARP flux pump ABCB1. Uh, all these molecules, of course, that are involved in the mechanisms of uh, PARP resistance represent potential targets for uh, PARP combinations regimens, and we have uh, several trials uh, investigating the efficacy uh, of combining PARP inhibitor with these uh, agents that target uh, Additional pathways outside of the DNA damage repair to overcome PARP resistance. Uh, the most promising probably is the uh, W1 inhibitor Adavosertib, which is uh, which in the phase uh, two trial effort uh, demonstrated it to be effective both uh, alone and in the combination with uh, olaparib in patients with uh, uh, recurrent PARP-resistant ovarian cancer. And uh, then we have also the combination of the and olaparib that showed some activity. Um, um, I mean, uh, after puppy progression in the phase two evolve uh, trial. Then we have, of course, other promising agents uh, uh, such as the anti-androgenics, the inhibitors of the PI3K, immune checkpoint inhibitors. So uh, there's a lot going on. Going on. Uh, the question of how best to treat these patients is of course open, and we have to wait for uh, all these results uh, to optimize the the strategy.
0: Yeah. So and then continuing on the on this topic of uh, PARP inhibitor progression, uh, particularly for patients who have a progression, say within six to twelve months of being on a PARP, are, are there any non-platinum uh, chemotherapy regimens that uh, look exciting or, or promising?
1: Um, yes, um, the role of, uh, of uh, non-platinum chemotherapy, uh, of course, should be reassessed in the, in the post-PARP era. And uh, of course, um, the, the, the MITL-8 uh, trial demonstrated that uh, uh, treating patients with a platinum-free interval of 6-12 months with a non-platinum-based regimen uh, did not improve survival, but this scenario could uh, could change in the post-PARP era. And the, um, the, the combination of trabectedin and uh, PLD um, should be further evaluated in the uh, subgroup of patients with a platinum-free interval of 6-12 uh, uh, months, as again, the results of the innovation trial could be reversed after the advent of PARP inhibitor in, uh, in the first-line setting. Uh, at least theoretically, not only non-platinum agents could be more effective than expected as a second-line treatment in patients who progress after a PARP inhibitor, but the interposition of non-platinum-based chemotherapy may have overcome cross resistance and uh, possibly improve the response uh, to subsequent platinum based therapy so uh, pending more data on this issue we could uh, speculate that uh, platinum rechallenge should remain of course the preferred option in the first platinum eligible relapse including when the interval is between uh, 6 and 12 months while non platinum agents could be considered in case of uh, of further relapses so there's still a role and we need to investigate this more Great. Um, Next question is for
0: Professor Colombo, and and I'm sure obviously you were expecting uh, this type of question. It pertains to financial toxicity. Several fellows actually brought up the same uh, uh, topic. Um, The question is, uh, here in the United States, financial toxicity surrounding PARP inhibitor is a, a major burden for many of our patients. Are you experiencing the same issues in Italy, What are the things we can learn from each other to make this uh, more affordable for our patients? And also as a follow-up question uh, on the same topic, um, do you see any potential benefit for the use of these drugs, but for for a shorter period of time with lower doses or in a different regimen that can make them much more financially accessible in regions outside of the United States?
2: Yeah, uh, unfortunately, I think the problem of financial toxicity exists for any new drug coming to the market. And uh, I I personally believe that the cost of PAP inhibitor in frontline, so only for two or three years, depending on laparim and Miraparib, is balanced by the benefit, particularly in the BRCA and HRD population Remember, we now have data on improved overall survival for Olaparib um, uh, from, uh, you know, the SOL1 and from PAULA-1 study. So it's the first time that we have a benefit in overall survival in frontline. So, and and we know that some of these patients will be cured. So we increase the potential cure for many of these patients. So in my mind, I think, that we use many other drugs equally expensive with much lower curative potential. So I will probably cut on these drugs more than on Pap inhibitor because I think you, know, you have to look also at the benefit that you can achieve. In Italy, we are very lucky because it is uh, paid by the national health system. We have a national health system. So the mm. patients do not pay anything. We, it's completely covered by the national health system. And then there is no problem for for our patients to use this drug, which is, uh, I I realize, a fortune. In terms of duration of treatment, I'm certainly in favor of the shorter duration possible. However, I think we may speculate that two years of niraparib maybe are enough, Uh, but unfortunately the trial was done in a different way and the regulator, uh, as you know, the regulators base their decision on the data, not on not on speculation. So, um, for sure, um, you know, I think we should stick at the way the, the trial was designed. But in future, of course, there will be space to investigate this possibility.
0: Yeah. And, and as a follow-up question to that, in terms of, as you mentioned, the time of uh, treatment, and of course, obviously getting a little bit into the uh, toxicity and, and side effects, and I've had patients who completed their treatment, and of course, they haven't had a recurrence, and they say, well, I want to stay on this for the next three years until I'm five years out, and therefore, um, I'm going to be okay. Um, now, with regards to the issue of should we consider a treatment, um, you know, beyond two years? Should it be shorter than two years, particularly given the myelodysplastic syndromes that are associated with PARP inhibitors?
2: So you are talking about relapse, relapsing, not Mm -hmm. the front line. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I think, you know, that to treat patients until progression in the relapsing setting uh, is probably not a good thing to do. Uh, We know uh, the quite high incidence of myelodysplastic syndrome and leukemias in this population. And the solo two is up to 8% and uh, another uh, you know, trial is around 6%. So it's quite high. And, and also I think we, you know, you should consider that for instance, with platinum and, and you know, platinum and platinum are very similar. So with platinum, what we do, we give, we give the drug for six months, we stop, and then we may rechallenge with platinum and it works again. With hmm. PAP inhibitor, if we continue on treatment until progression, of course, we will create a resistance to pap inhibitor, but also to platinum. So I think we should definitely explore in the relapsing setting to give the PAP inhibitor for a given period of time. We, we may decide how, how much, but I, I think it's important to stop. And then maybe even the re-challenge could be effective, or maybe the re-challenge with platinum will be more effective. So I'm, I'm definitely positive that this should be done in the relapsing setting.
0: And, and Nicoleta, as a follow-up to that, in the frontline setting, are there patients where after two years um, you feel comfortable just continuing, um, regardless of what, you know, certainly uh, that potential side effect toxicity profile, particularly to the myelodysplastic syndromes?
2: Well, I think there are very few patients, even in solo 1, it was only 10% of patients who continues. And and these were the patients maybe still with measurable disease, and they were responding uh, to olaparib, they continue to respond. And in this case, you were allowed to continue behind the two years. So I may consider something like that. If you have disease present, and you see that the benefit is, is going on, then you may consider. But the Besides this situation, I don't, I wouldn't consider to continue behind two years.
0: Okay. Um, Giuseppe, a a couple of questions for you. Um, Teresa Pan asks, she's from Austria. She says, uh, what do you consider is actually the most common scenario where PARP inhibitors today are used inappropriately?
1: Um, Well, I think, and uh, again, here I need to thank Professor Colombo for all the things I know. Uh, I think that PARP inhibitors should be used uh, upfront whenever possible either alone or in combination with uh, Bevacizumab. And this is for all the reasons that we already uh, discussed. Uh, that being said, we should not use a PARP for all strategy. Of course, we need to remember that we also have Bevacizumab that has demonstrated it to be effective in selected patients. And in particular, the GOG218 uh, and ICON7 demonstrated an overall survival benefit in the high risk setting for Bevacizumab. Therefore, I think that uh, Bevacizumab should be preferred over PARP inhibitor. Uh, in HRD negative patients with uh, unfavorable platinum response and who are at high risk, uh, and/or where the priority is to relieve the the symptoms such as ascites uh, and uh, pleural effusion, where we know that of course the antiangiogenic is very effective. So uh, in this case probably the PARP inhibitor is inappropriate, and we should uh, remember the efficacy of the of the PARP, of the um, Yeah.
0: And as a follow up to that, uh, another question from one of our fellows was your thoughts with regards to concurrent use of PARP inhibitor and bevacizumab versus sequential use. Any thoughts on that?
1: Um, Well, um, when considering the the combination of uh, PARP inhibitor and uh, bevacizumab in uh, BRCA mutated patients, we need to consider several issues. Uh, first, uh, regulatory issues. In some countries like uh, Italy, the combination of uh, bevacizumab with uh, olaparib is uh, only reimbursed for BRCA wild type HRD positive patients and not for those who have the BRCA mutations. So mm. here the decision is uh, very simple. Uh, then, as you said, the true benefits of uh, adding the bevacizumab to uh, the PERC inhibitor remains unclear. Uh, this benefit seems to be uh, additive than uh, synergistic. However, we need to, to wait for the results of ongoing trials. We have the Nirvana one, the v 57 and the MITO-25, which will uh, hopefully provide uh, further evidence on this topic. Then we should remember that, of course, if we mm, use both the PARP inhibitor and Bevacizumab in the first line, then we have no options available in the recurrence setting since the rechallenge is now uh, currently approved. Um, and then. And since the response to platinum after a PARP inhibitor is reduced, as we said, due to cross-resistance mechanisms, uh, we can only we can also speculate that we can reserve bevacizumab for the relapse to enhance the the efficacy of subsequent chemotherapy. And then, of course, the the combination results in additive toxicity, so it is not easily prescribable to 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 all patients. In summary, um, pending more evidence, I would say that. Uh, the combination mm, seems to be unnecessary for brca patients, and uh, probably the, the scenario where, where the addition of the Bevacizumab could be considered is, uh, again, in case of high-risk disease and suboptimal response to, to platinum, and this is, of course, if the, the patient can tolerate the, the combination.
0: Great. And uh, Giuseppe, one last question for you. You talked uh, briefly about rechallenge, and then there are many patients today that come in, and they're always asked about, well, can I take PARP again? And... Uh, what, what do you think is the ideal scenario or, or the indication for rechallenge, challenge And particularly, what would be your message to patients who are interested in this?
1: Um, well, of course, um, given the efficacy of quark uh, inhibitors, there's a strong interest in uh, uh, using them as, and rechallenging uh, them as they could be effective and safe. And we uh, know the, the results of the ORAL trial, which were uh, quite positive. Of course, we have to wait for, for further evidence. Uh, I would say that the most interesting scenario is the the possibility of continuing the PARP inhibitor after oligoprogression, because we know that, uh, of course, the pattern of recurrence under or after PARP inhibitor is frequently oligometastatic, and we already have uh, two retrospective studies that suggested that patients with oligometastatic progression under PARP inhibitor may continue to benefit from uh, PARP inhibitor maintenance if they are managed with uh, local regional treatment, either surgery or stereotactic body radiotherapy, and the rationale is that, of course, the local regional treatment removed those neoplastic clones that developed the PARP resistance, while the rest of the disease remains stable under PARP influence and so, of course, in these, uh, if, if these findings are confirmed, we can, uh, uh, of course, extend the uh, therapeutic effect of the PARP inhibitor beyond uh, oligoprogression, and this, of course, is important, especially for BRCA mutated patients, and we can spare the platinum for further relapses, and so extend the the platinum-free interval. So uh, this is very interesting. There is also a phase three trial. It is the Mito Thirty uh, Five B trial, and so uh, we will see the results of of course of these uh, of these ongoing trials.
0: Very well, great. So I just have uh, two more questions for Professor Colombo, and uh, one of them is: uh, Would the combination of a PARP inhibitor with an antibody drug conjugate Uh, give us a more more sustained response um, and and would the side effect profile be intolerable? This question is from Anissa Mburu in uh, Kenya.
2: Well, uh, in the past, we we tried to combine PARP inhibitor with other drugs, but this was quite unsuccessful, mainly because of toxicity. Uh, We combine olaparib with carboplatin and parclitaxel uh, but it was necessary to reduce the doses of chemotherapy to make this tolerable, and at the end there was no benefit. Um, mm-hmm. So, given the toxicity of ADCs, which which uh, which are chemotherapy uh, anyhow, so you know, combined, but uh, there, there, there is a payload which is chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. I think it will be difficult uh, to combine inhibitor with ADC. So I, I don't see in the future this type of combination to work because of toxicity and tolerability.
0: <laughs> Great, and, and one last question. Um, many of the fellows wanted uh, me to ask you specifically, what's the most exciting question that has not been answered so far with PARP inhibitor use in ovarian cancer?
2: Uh, I, I think we still have a lot of questions, but I, <laughs> the, mo- the most important question is who are and how to identify patients uh, which HRD negative tumor who may benefit for PARP inhibitor. We don't know yet, but we have to find out because we know that our patients with HRD negative tumor, they, they have a great benefit for PARP inhibitor. So we should understand who they are and how to identify. Uh, and this is crucial to offer the treatment to them, but to avoid the administration uh, of PARP inhibitor to others who may not benefit and even have a detrimental effect. Mm. And, and for these patients, new strategies uh, should be explored. We also needed to understand how to overcome resistance, uh, mm. both, both the novo resistance and the acquired resistance in, in order to offer this treatment to the majority of patients. And finally, I think we are eagerly waiting uh, the results of the uh, first line trials Uh, which explored the addition of immunotherapy to pulp inhibitor and bevacizumab. We know that there is a strong rationale for this three drug combination, but we have to see the clinical data, and this trial has been conducted, and uh, we will see soon uh, the results. And so that's very important because this trial was designed really to overcome the de novo resistance to pulp inhibitor. So we sincerely hope in <laughs> another tsunami, as I call it, a, tuna- a tsunami of positive trial, as we had in 2018 and 2019 with the advent of pembrolizumab. So to change again the standard of care and improve the outcome of our unfortunate patients with ovarian cancer. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you so, so much to, to both of you, uh, Giuseppe Caruso. Thank you so much for submitting the, the manuscript and and uh, and for your time in this podcast to Professor Nicoleta Colombo. Thank you so much. Always a pleasure speaking with you. I always learn so much from listening to you. Thank you for all you have done for the field of gynecologic oncology and for women with gynecologic cancer. So uh, thank you once again to both of you.
2: Thank you. Thank you for inviting us. Oh. Mm.